In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. If you haven't already noticed, we have started Lent. And Lent is a beautiful time of the year. I know we all stress about fasting, but I think we actually disadvantage ourselves by only focusing on fasting and traumatizing ourselves with it so much. Because we don't realize that there is a lot more we should be doing. Fasting is not just about the food. Fasting is not just about what we can um, change in our eating patterns, in our diets, even in our disciplines. Fasting really is a time for recharging. It's a time for preparing. We all know that in our church, um, fasting always precedes a feast. So whenever we're fasting, it is a preparation period for a feast. And so when we're fasting, when you and I are fasting, it's because we've got something coming up that's really important we want to prepare for. And the most important thing for us to prepare is ourselves. If we consider the fast just a period of restoration, regeneration, recharging, that's exactly what it is. Because if you imagine, Lent in particular, because Lent is a really special time of the year, so Lent is where we charge up and we look forward to the Feast of the Resurrection. We get to the Feast of the Resurrection, we celebrate it, then we have the Holy 50 Days. We finish the Holy 50 Days, then we go into the Apostles. Finish the Apostles, and it's St. Mary. Finish St. Mary, and it's, it's, it's uh, Nehruz. From Nehruz, we end up going to the Nativity fast, Advent. From that, and, and so you see it's a progression for the whole year. So by the time we come round for the whole year, it's time to recharge again. It's time to be able to fill ourselves again. Because, of course, we're recharging throughout the year. We're recharging constantly throughout the year. But this is a time to really focus. What we need to realize, though, is that we are a creation of God. God made us. And so God knows our strengths and our weaknesses. Genesis 1.26, we know our Lord says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And that's how he wanted us. He could have created us in any other way. He could have created us as a different being. He could have created us in a different way. He could have created us to have different characteristics. But out of his love for us, he wanted us to have his characteristics. His way. His image. His likeness. His spirit within us. 
And why? Because we are a specific being made for a specific purpose. We are made to be filled by him. That's why St. Paul, in his first epistle to the Corinthians, reminds us and says to us, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy, then that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you not know that? Don't you know that you're not your own? You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit abides inside you. Because he wants to. Because that's what you're there for. You are a creation for a purpose. And that's why you become that vessel. The vessel that is filled with the Spirit of God. And we forget that sometimes. In life we forget that. We, we forget John 17. We forget that we are in the world and not of the world. And we actually live well and truly of the world. We take on the appearance of the world, we take on the mindset of the world, we take on the nature of the world, and we change ourselves. So it's almost like you're a beautiful vessel that is made to be filled with a fragrant oil. That's what you're made for. Have you seen these beautiful bottles that you will get that they're blown especially and are filled with wonderful scents? That's how you've been created. With that beauty to hold those scents. And what if we take that bottle, that bottle that has been hand-blown, hand-crafted for a specific purpose, we take it and we roll it around the mud a little bit and we fill it with just dirty, muddy water. That's not what it's for. It's not what it's for at all. Now, of course, you can always, once you've done that, you can always empty the muddy water and rinse it really well and clean it from the outside and put the beautiful scent in it again and then it's restored. But it was never made for the muddy water. Same with us. We were created, we were handcrafted, the breath of God in us to carry his spirit. We are going to be filled with other things from time to time. And unfortunately, because of the weakness of our nature, we sin, we fall, we fail. But even if we do, there's one beautiful thing we have in our church as a sacramental Orthodox Church, repentance, confession, the Eucharist, where we are can be cleaned, we can be rinsed out, we can be emptied out of this muddy water and filled again with the rightful content. You are a beautiful creation. You know, we, we don't always see that. People in the world will constantly tell us when and how and how much we are getting things wrong. All the time. All the time we're getting things wrong. 
You're failing. You're falling. You're falling short of grace. You've made this mistake. You've made that mistake. And it just becomes daunting. No, I don't want to always know my failings. And so when I'm always faced by my failings, when I fail myself, and people remind me, and the world reminds me, and Satan reminds me, how do I see myself? I see myself as this, this ugliness. But that's only because the world around me paints that picture of me. Imagine if you're looking into a mirror and this mirror is just dirty and smudged and you look and you just see ugliness. That's not who we are. Because Job 10.8 reminds us in speaking to God saying, your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Imagine the hand of God. And I don't mean Maradona. Any football fans here? Soccer fans? Okay, you'll understand. If you don't, Google it. Hand of God. Right? Imagine that hand of God. That, that suddenly, metaphorically, of course, because God doesn't have hands and feet and legs, but metaphorically, the hand of God that fashions me, that molds me, that makes me into that intricate unity, the unity of body, mind, spirit, the unity of, of everything that God puts in me, the unity of the image and likeness of God with the spirit of God in me, that beautiful unity we are such complex creatures, both biologically, of course we're complex biologically, but even spiritually. We're very complex because we're made up of so many things and we have a beautiful balance in us. When that balance is offset, then we, we, we end up failing. We fall and we fall really hard. We end up taking on an image that is not ours. We end up living a life that is not ours. And we end up being in a place that is not ours. And so what we're reminded of, and especially during this Lent, is that there is an onus, there is a responsibility on us. The epistle to St. Timothy, chapter 4, verse 14 says, St. Paul says to him, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Don't neglect it. What is that gift? That gift could be so many things. The gift of life. The gift of spirit. The gift of the image and likeness of God. The gift of what he makes me into. The gift that he entrusts me with. Do not neglect that gift that is in you. In fact, what we want to do during this Lent is not just not neglect it, what we want to do is nurture it. Build it up. Make it more beautiful. Take it off, and if it's dusty, you dust it off. If it's muddy, you wash it down. 
If it's malnourished, you fill it and you feed it. If it's battered, you have a time of healing. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. You all have gifts. All of you. Each and every one of us has gifts. Besides the gift of life, there are other gifts. There are beautiful gifts that are intrinsic and particular to each and every one of us. And they're the gifts we need to nurture as well. But of course, that's not the whole picture. Because these gifts are encased in a body. And it's the body that takes precedence. It's the body that takes priority so often. That's why these days of fasting, these days of Lent, are such a wonderful time for us to focus on something different. To not focus on the body, but focus on the spirit. Romans 7, 5 for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were at work. Were they at work? In our members to bear fruit to death. We don't want to bear fruit to death. We want to bear good fruits. Fruits of life. We want to be that creation of God. We want to be that image and that likeness. And so we want to be restored. We need to be restored. And this is an ideal time for that. But of course, we need to be on the lookout. You see, what happens is we, we often just pay no attention to ourselves. We neglect ourselves. A very weakened and depleted spiritual state doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't just doesn't just hit. It comes gradually. It adds day after day after day. And we become more and more and more empty. We become more and more and more distant. And so we need to be looking for the warning signs. We need to be searching for that which makes us different. We need to be looking for what we need. What do we need? We need to nurture that which is in us. We don't need to follow the things that bear fruits of death. How often do we actively, proactively, actually look for those things that bear fruits of death? And sometimes you work towards them. We need to avoid them. If I were to say to you that a certain input, something you eat, something you drink, is poisoning you, would you continue to take it? And 
you know what? It's a slow release poison, so it affects you day after day after day. You don't feel it the first day, you feel it later and then more and then more and more. For instance, something like nicotine, like cigarettes, or something even more drastic. It, it's something that poisons you gradually. It doesn't just happen. Such also is the state of the spirit. That is, through life, through pressures, through temptations, through humanity, and through this world we live in, is poisoned gradually. Now, of course, we have some resistance spiritually, so we work on it. We, we build ourselves. We avoid the complete and utter breakdown. But over time, we're poisoned. We need not to be. And sometimes we don't know. What, what makes me realize that I'm poisoned? What makes me realize that I'm weakened? What makes me realize that I'm vulnerable? Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means that what comes out of your mouth is indicative of where you are spiritually. Am I gracious? Am I loving? Am I forgiving? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Or am I aggressive? Am I crude? Am I vulgar? Am I angry? Am I resentful? Am I cynical? Those are all indications. You know how you turn around and say, oh, he's a nice person, but his just view of life is a bit skewed. Or she's a nice person, but she just gets angry. Or he's a nice person, but he just can't help himself in what he says. But really, he's got a kind heart. No. Kind hearts speak kind words. Kind hearts, speak kind words. And of course we can all make a mistake. But if it's repetitive and constant, if we just chalk it up to that's the way we are, then we have something very seriously wrong. Because good fruits come out of good trees, good treasures come out of a good heart. And if we realize that there is anything other than that coming out, then we know we've got a problem. We know that if our mouth is speaking this way constantly, and as a matter of identity, then there is something seriously wrong. There's something very, very damaging in that. St. Macarius the Great says to us that Christians put on the Holy Spirit and are at rest. Christians put on the Holy Spirit and are at rest. That's what gives us rest. Putting on the Holy Spirit. Being godly. Living a righteous life. Because that is our default setting. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, you're at rest. You're at rest. 
when you're in your natural setting. So an engine is at rest when it doesn't need to fight resistance. So a body is at rest when the struggle is least. And that's because we've put on the Holy Spirit. Because he becomes our strength. He becomes the one who fights for us. He becomes the source of grace. He becomes the source of comfort. He becomes the energy, the fuel that we have. He is not an energy, because some people think of the Holy Spirit as an energy. He is God. But imagine God in you, inside you. What does that even look like? What does it mean to have that energy of God, the presence of God, the love of God, the graciousness of God, the purity, all of those things? It means we go back to our position of rest because that is how we should be. That's well and good to say, but we also must realize that we are only often as good as our surroundings because we are directly affected by those surroundings. And you sometimes feel it, you know, if you're in a good if you're in good company, people who speak well, speak graciously, that's what you do. The minute you go into other circles, what happens? You speak a different language. You live a different life. You become a different person. Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 11, verse 34, our Lord says to us, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. When your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. It's what we take in and how we take it in. We want to take in light. We want to take in life. We want to take in power. We want to take in victory. We don't want to take in darkness and sin and death. Who wants to take that in? Well, we may not want to, but we end up doing it. And sometimes we do it because there's nothing else to do. Sometimes we do it because we choose to do it. We would prefer to take in darkness and sinfulness and death because that's the state of mind we're in. We become rebellious. We rebel against God. We become like the children of Israel who once Moses goes up to receive the commandment, they decide they're going to make themselves a new God. And they fashion this God out of their gold. They give up their most prized possessions. They sacrifice so much to make a god, a false god, but a god that they want to worship intentionally, proactively, in their own choice. No one forced them, it's their choice. And often we do the same. Rather than putting ourselves in the hands of God, worshiping Him, living with Him, looking up to Him, desiring Him, having a relationship with Him, we fashion our own gods. 
and at great expense. The God of study, the God of career, the God of achievement, the God of wealth, the God of material satisfaction, all of those things in and of themselves are not bad, they're not wrong. But when they're taken to the extreme, when they become gods that are worshipped, that we prostrate before, that we sacrifice to, when that happens, then we know we're in a different place. We know that we need to be restored and returned. Because we know that, again, the words of our Lord in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruits good, or else make the tree bad and its fruits bad. We need to make our tree good so our fruits are good. We need to be nourished with goodness. I don't know if you know this, but trees are directly affected by what they take in through their roots. So I remember in the monastery, there were some monasteries that would dig their own wells, and some of those wells, the water would be very minerally, lots of mineral salts. And the fruits, and that's why we only grow lemons, for instance, because the, the lemon is already salty. And sometimes you taste that salt. So what goes through the fruits, uh, sorry, what goes through the roots, through the trunk, through the branches, into the fruits, affects those fruits. Likewise, what do we take through our roots? Do we take goodness? Do we take sweetness? Do we take the sweetness of God? Or do we take bitterness of the world? And be assured that whatever fruits you have, because of course there are two components of fruits, what they look like and what they taste like. Right? Sometimes they look okay. They look fine. You know, you buy fruit, you go and you see these beautiful, big, shiny fruit and you taste it and it's just nothing. No taste. So we don't want to be the big fruit that's shiny and beautiful but has no taste or the withered, old, depleted fruit that's also rotten. We want to be the fruit that is nurtured, that is fed by the goodness of God. We want to be the fruit that only he can produce with his goodness. And that means we need to be careful. What are we taking? We're taking things from around us, the environment around us, the people around us, the dynamics around us. And that's why our Lord warns his disciples when he wants them to pray and they sleep and to pray and they sleep. He says to them, take heed, watch and pray. 
For you do not know when the time is. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And there are two components there. That's what we're doing during Lent. We are watching and praying. To watch is to look out for God. To look for Him, to seek Him, to find Him, to engage with Him. Watch. But also in the midst of that, you pray. Pray in engaging in the relationship. In telling Him what we want, what we need. What we're wary about, what we fear, what concerns us. Pray, pray for everything. Pray unceasingly. Let your petitions be known to God. All of them. I assure you that God is not like me at all. Because if you tell me something silly, I could laugh at you. But for God, there is nothing silly. There is no silly prayer. There is no ridiculous request. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, really? Seriously? You want me to do that for you? Are you kidding? No. He says, ask, seek, knock, unconditionally. Completely unconditional. But do those things. Because in them, you will be answered, you will find, and the door will be opened. But do them. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. When is the time? When is the Master coming? When is the world ending? When is my life ending? All of those things. We spend so much time trying to calculate them. And people tell you it's this year and that year. Our Lord was very precise. He said, when they come and tell you the Lord is coming from here and from there, don't listen to them. No one knows. We're just waiting for him. We're waiting for him to come. And we're waiting for him because we love him and we want him. That's not going to mean we always get it right. We'll, we'll sometimes, we'll often, have dry times. When we can't pray, we don't feel him. We can't ask. We can't seek. We can't even knock. What do we do? We pray. We say, Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I, I have no idea. I'm in this wilderness. I'm stuck in the middle of this wilderness. There is nothing around me. I feel completely alone. Completely, entirely alone. What do I do? Our Lord says, you know what? I'm the Lord your God. For me, nothing is impossible. If you think you're lost, if you think you're alone, wait. And then we read Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. 
Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If you think you're in the middle of this arid, dry wasteland, and there's nothing around, I am going to make a road for you in the wilderness. I will get you out of there. I won't physically come by helicopter and pick you up and put you out, but I'm going to create this beautiful road for you that takes you out of the wilderness. I'm going to change the wilderness. What's wilderness? Wilderness is a place, what's desert? It's a place that has no water. I will change that place. I will put a river in the middle of it. So it's no longer desert. But that water is for you. Because you need it. Because you need me. Why do we need to look after our spirits? Why is Lent important? Why is prayer important? Fasting important? Why do we have to look after ourselves? Back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that, the, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're not your own. You have your life on loan. You're entrusted with it. It's a beautiful possession. And the thing about God is he knows us. And he knows if he just gives us our lives, we're going to make a mess of them. So he says to us, here's your life, but it's on loan to you. It's in trust. Look after it. It's still mine. It's still mine. And it's only mine. It's up to you to look after it for as long as you have it. And he gives us that life. Do we cherish it? Do we hold on to it? Do we look after it? It's not our own. We need to protect it from for him. Now, when our Lord uses the parable of the talents and says that we must give account, we must give account for that life. What have we done with it? If we're not our own, what have we done with the gifts that God gives us? But the beautiful thing that we read in Gospel of St. John chapter 6 is that it is the Spirit who gives us life. Flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that gives us life. And that life comes from God. Which means if it's going to be replenished, restored, fixed, it is He who does it. It is he who does it for us. Now what we want to do during this Lent is to be restored. And there's a beautiful passage from St. Basil the Great that speaks to us about restoration. And he says this. He says, through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension into the kingdom, our return 
to the adoption of sons, our liberty to call God our Father, our being made partakers of the grace of Christ. All of those things. Those things we are denied. Those things that we're not able to live. Because when we're away from God, when the Holy Spirit is restrained within us by us, then what happens? We, we feel that we're a long way from paradise. We feel like we're a long way from the kingdom. We feel like we're not sons anymore. We're hired servants. We feel that we're not at liberty to call God Father because we feel so defiled. We feel that we cannot be partakers of grace because we're undeserving. We feel that we cannot be called children of light because our life is full of darkness. And we feel that we cannot share in eternal glory because we're undeserving. But St. Basil says to us, if we are restored through the Holy Spirit who is in us, we're restored to paradise, we're ascended to the kingdom, we're returned to the adoption of sons, we're free to call God Father, we're made partakers of the grace of Christ, we are called children of light. And we share in eternal glory. It fixes all of that. Our presence with him fixes all of that. He goes on to say, in a word, our being is brought into a state of all fullness of blessing. We're restored to that state of all fullness of blessing. Where? He says, both in this world and in the world to come. Both. Our spiritual life, our life of satisfaction, is not just about the world to come. Because what we do say, you know, we'll suffer here, but we'll have a great time in the kingdom. God wants us to enjoy both. Yes, we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome. Yes, you'll find trials and tribulations and come before rulers, but I will give you word. You are my disciples. God wants us to be joyful here. But to do that, we must be close to him. So I pray that this Lenten period is a time when we can grow. Foster all of these things. Develop what we need to develop. Exist and abide in God. Be restored to all that heavenly and holy blessing and be able to live the joy and the resurrection that we are preparing for in the feast that will come at the end of this fast. A reminder that although we go through this and we walk the path of the passions of our Lord during Holy Week and we share in the pain of Good Friday that all of that is looking towards the glory the blessing and the victory of the resurrection that we celebrate. And glory be to God forever. Amen.